You're listening to the Recoveredish Podcast. I'm your host, licensed therapist, Amanda E. White. Welcome back to the Recovered Podcast. I'm Amanda E. White, your host, and I am so excited to get into chatting with you about Barbie the movie. So last week we talked all about Barbie as a concept, the history of Barbie. Go back and listen to that. But I really wanted to just set this up and explain, you know, the reason I'm talking about the Barbie movie and truly any popular culture topic is that I think Pop culture is a really good place to take note of our collective mental health, you could say. We're all impacted by pop culture, whether we pay attention to it or not. It impacts trends. It impacts how we think of ourselves and understand ourselves and the world. And really, art, media, culture, all of these things, they impact our mental health, but they also reveal things about our mental health, about what we're going through, how people are feeling. So I think it's a really interesting and important place to actually talk about things. It's why I do talk about the mental health aspect of pop culture on this podcast. And in regards to the Barbie movie, I really think it's an excellent avenue to explore how the patriarchy affects our mental health. And this impacts individuals of all genders, not just men and women. I think about how fangirls are made to feel stupid and crazy for being passionate about the artists they love and how that impacts their mental health. I think about how women feel the need to dress differently and steer away from their feminine side in order to be taken seriously at work, which absolutely impacts their mental health. But I also think about men and how they're not given space to express their emotions or show up authentically as themselves. And that absolutely impacts their mental health. And finally, how LGBTQ people and non-binary people are told that they aren't human or there's something wrong with them because they don't fit into the binary. They don't look like how men or women stereotypically look. And that absolutely impacts their mental health. People in the LGBTQ community notoriously have struggled with more mental health issues, and that is a direct correlation. And I think that the Barbie movie did a great job of exploring how the patriarchy negatively impacts all of us through this nostalgic cultural icon who is Barbie. So I'm excited to get into all of it with you. And if you are looking for therapy or looking for support with your mental health, I just want to give a quick shout out to my therapy practice, Therapy for Women Center. We have three local offices in the Philadelphia area. And if you are out of state, we serve 27 states across the country. We really align with the values of feminine therapy, of LGBTQ affirming therapy. We lead from the perspective of you are the expert on your life and we are there to guide you along the journey. So check out therapyforwomencenter.com if you have more questions. We also offer the ability for you to book a 15-minute consult session with us if you have specific questions or want to get to know us better. Today, I'm going to be talking all about the Barbie movie, which I've seen a few times and I'm very excited to get into 
Spoiler alert, this episode will have lots of spoilers. If you are looking for an overview of Barbie, go back to my episode from last week. But I just came back from seeing it for the second time, and my oh my, I am just buzzing with inspiration and things I want to say to you. And it's been a week now since the movie's been released. And one thing that I wanted to start off by talking about was just the success of this movie is just so cool to see. Really has blown away so many expectations. It's the biggest opening from a female director, Greta Gerwig. And I think one thing that I really keep coming back to is just how underrated I think sometimes girls' interests are. And I saw a phenomenal article in the New York Times that just talked about, you know, really did comparisons between the Eras tour and Barbie and this cool thing that's happening between both of kind of reclaiming girlhood and femininity. And I think it's something that a lot of us can relate to because girls are really often told that to grow up, to be successful, we need to put away our toys, put away childish things, to be taken seriously, to not wear pink, to not have superfluous interests. And I just really feel like it's such a difference between boys when they're growing up. And I'm going to go into some of the research about the confidence gap in adolescence and how those things kind of change. But just high level, there's a phenomenal TED Talk that I'll link that is all about fangirls. And I just think it's so interesting because if you take a video camera of a girl or women yelling at a concert, at the Eras tour, right, screaming, and then you also take a video camera of men screaming at a football game, high level to someone without context of our world, it looks the same. It is people wearing similar outfits that probably feel themselves, that feel like an expression for them, really animated, really excited, fully being present in what's happening in front of them. And the biggest difference is just how we talk about it, how we're socialized. And it is just wild when you look at it from that level because girls are really made fun of for being really interested in things and Boys are not. It is considered very manly to love sports. It's considered a serious thing. I know of people in corporate environments where there's conversations where they teach women about how to talk about sports, and it's considered really important for girls to know the the language of sports. I mean, I grew up with being told that it was really important that I knew how football went and I knew the rules of different sports. And that was important for impressing men in my life or potential boys if I wanted them to like me or if I wanted to date. I mean, I went through such a phase when I was online dating after college where I pretended like I was really interested in sports and I would say that I loved this and I would try to use like the knowledge that I had from the fact that I was young and my dad taught me how to throw a football in a spiral as like social proof that I was cool because I knew about sports. And really, I hate sports. I still do. One of the best things about my husband is that he doesn't like sports either. So we don't have to pretend. But my God, it's just so, I think it's just so fascinating because obviously like Taylor Swift is now a cultural icon. So people know about her whether you want to or not. And maybe this is a weak argument, so I'm not saying this is exactly, but there is no place where men have to learn about certain 
activities that women like or interests that women like for them to be taken seriously with women. Like that was one of the biggest things I took away from the movie. I think that there really isn't this cultural idea that men should take interest in women's interests because they are just for women. They're considered more frivolous, not as interesting, not to be taken seriously. I mean, you can go into Legally Blonde rom-coms, all of romance novels, right? Like all of that is just very considered dumb. And I think that that is what the Barbie movie does such a good job of kind of showing is that because you get to see Barbie land as this vision of pink and sparkles and everyone looks great and everything is very, very feminine, but it's also just the norm. So it's what's taken seriously. It was just really cool. I loved where lawyer Barbie says, this makes me emotional and I'm expressing it. I have no difficulty holding both logic and emotion at the same time. And it does not diminish my powers. It expands them. What a powerful two sentences. I just think that's really it. That was what was so cool about seeing Barbie land on screen is you got to see femininity and women expressing themselves and having their emotions or doing things that are considered trivial in our world. And in Barbie land, it was considered normal and the status quo and powerful. And I think that that was just a really cool example. And it just... I think it really leads me to thinking about Taylor Swift also in my own life. And I think just how like Barbie has done so well as a movie, it was not imagined to do, I think they figured it would do well, but it's blown expectations out of the water. And I think, yes, part of that is like post COVID and we're reclaiming going to movie theaters again and going out. But I also think that filmmakers chronically undervaluate and devalue women's interests and how women will show up for something. I mean, people are shocked about the Eras tour. Love her, hate her. Her Eras tour has been incredibly successful. We knew it would be amazing, but it, again, it just keeps blowing expectations out of the water. It's now being cited as potentially helping boost the economy. And it is something that I don't think we take as seriously because it is Taylor Swift singing breakup songs, singing in different outfits, singing about things that she's been through in her life. It's the eras tour. So it's all these different eras through her life. And I think one of the coolest things about going to the eras tour too, is you get to see her relive moments of herself, relive songs that she could or other people have definitely said are cringy and she owns them. And you can see her flip from talking about Romeo and Juliet and Fearless to then being bold and singing folklore and evermore and these like beautiful new albums that, you know, she wrote in the pandemic. And, but the way she has portrayed herself on stage recently, it just feels very much like she knows her power and she knows that singing a song that she wrote when she was like 16 or 18 doesn't diminish her songwriting and her talent as a 33 year old woman. And she has loved and reclaimed her art in a way that is just such an amazing example of other women and and so many of us I think really are told that we need to put away our childish things, put away our dolls, put away our childhood interests 
so that we can grow up and be taken seriously and be successful. I think because of Barbie, because of this idea in the 90s, very much it was told that you're a girl, you can do anything you want. And what was so revolutionary right about Barbie is she did anything she wanted in these outfits where I think a lot of us were like, okay, I can do anything I want. I don't have to just be a mom, but to be able to be successful, to be taken seriously, I need to dress a certain way. I need to be taken seriously. I need to learn sports lingo. I mean, even drinking certain drinks, the culture around rosé and cosmopolitans and pink drinks, I think is so interesting too, because if you think about all of that in college, there was such a status symbol that came with a girl who would shotgun beers because she was this chill girl. And so many of us, I think, aren't chill girls. And we're told that this is the idea of how to do womanhood right, how to be successful, how to make guys like you is by being down, being chill, playing beer pong, rejecting our interests, our passions, our femininity. And I think that that is so interesting because Many boys grow up loving sports. They continue to love sports. It is just considered something that's normal and important. I mean, men spend tons and tons of money and time playing sports, watching sports, thinking about sports. There are whole sports channels. But one thing that is important to know is over the past few years, there's been a lot of research conducted on confidence, especially in comparison of young girls to young boys. And One thing that's really upsetting is that girls' self-confidence takes a huge nosedive during puberty. And what's really interesting about it is that academically, girls tend to outperform boys during elementary school and middle school. So they're outperforming boys academically, which would make one think that they should be more confident than boys, but they're not, and they're way less confident than they were a few years before. And as a result, because of this shift that happens, you know, I think one really important way to understand how the patriarchy impacts women and also how one of the reasons that things like paid leave and um, time off for women giving birth and things like that is so important is because when you take time out of the workforce, it's not just the time off that you lose. It's all of the compounded time because career growth often is like an escalator. So not only do you miss that year or however long you took off, you also miss out on the potential growth you would have had during that time. Professor Emily Oster, she does a lot of research of the gender pay gap and things like that. And she talks about how a lot of times people just look at the gap in terms of short term. How much will I lose when I go out on maternity leave or how much will I lose that year? And she says that actually what we need to talk about is also how this compounds and the long-term effects of it. And one of the biggest things is that women have about 30% less saved for retirement than men on average because of this. She says that a lot of women who are considering leaving the workforce just think about childcare costs and they think about whether their income will be able to cover it. But she says what really needs to be also talked about is that continuing to work doesn't just impact those few years when you are taking a break from working to take care of your kids. It's also that future hit of getting back into the workforce, of missing wages across, of saving every year with your 401k that is set up through work. She by no means is saying that everyone needs to, but she's just saying that we need to also look at things 
long-term. So what is the point of me saying this aside? I'm saying it because if you think about wages similar to confidence, if girls' confidence takes a nosedive in their teens and preteens, confidence similar to how wages go up, confidence is built over the years by taking risks, by trying things out, by failing. That's how we gain confidence. We're all predisposed to our confidence, but also you need years of continuously trying, failing, growing that compound to continue to grow your confidence. So when girls' confidence takes a nosedive in middle school, boys' doesn't. They continue to build on that confidence. Girls don't because they start from that nosedived position. So that results in not just that difference in the confidence in their preteens, but it compounds over time. And that leads all the way to how it even impacts women and girls later on in their life, salary negotiations, whether they feel confident in the job they're doing, etc. The other double whammy about this is that girls compared to boys are really rewarded for being good, being a good girl, people-pleasing, perfectionistic, following rules, not pushing back, doing well, not failing, not taking risks essentially. But boys are not conditioned in the same way. As a result, they take more risks, they have more freedom to fail, they aren't trying to stifle themselves and make them small and perfectionistic in order to be good, be accepted, be liked, fit in. And risk-taking is one of the biggest things that builds confidence over time. So it's not only that girls' confidence takes a nosedive during this time, which creates a gap in where boys' and girls' confidence is. It is also that then girls are rewarded for continuing essentially to not grow their confidence through being rewarded for being people pleasers and not standing up for themselves and playing small. And over time, this gap between confidence of genders gets wider and wider and wider because men take more risks, they build confidence, they feel like they're able to take on things, and then they go for something even bigger where girls and women don't do that. So what's really interesting about all of this research, and I'll link the research articles, and there's a couple books that have been written about it too, is one of the best things you can do if you have a daughter is reward her for taking risks. Mind her that she doesn't need to be a good girl. So often we can get caught in this idea of, I think as parents, it is easier to parent a child that listens, that wants to please you. But we have to think about how that long-term can affect girls and how it can make them less confident, less successful, less likely to trust themselves when they are more concerned about pleasing us than staying true to themselves and doing what they want to do, which inherently includes risk-taking. Carol Dweck, who is a psychologist at Stanford, and she wrote a book called The Growth Mindset, and she said, if life were one long grade school, women would be the undisputed rulers of the world, but life isn't one long grade school. And that's because in grade school, you don't have to take risks as much. You do really well. You listen to your teachers. You follow directions. You get good grades. It is this parameter of life is a little bit more simple. There's a lot more structure. And I think what's really hard is we reward girls for getting good grades, listening, doing all of these things that allow you to excel in school, but then they're out in the real world and the risk takers, the people that are bold, the people that have courage and believe in themselves, the people that aren't afraid to fail, those are the people that are actually rewarded and succeed in life. And when over time, 
girls' confidence is not matched up with men. They have a tendency to internalize that. And then that changes their aspirations. They go into the real world. It's difficult. They see that they're not being rewarded for some of the skills and the traits that they've nurtured in school. And as a result, they internalize it and they say, oh, well, that's just not me. I'm just not that confident. I'm just not that good at taking risks. I just don't measure up the way these other people do. And they don't realize that this has actually been something that has been nurtured over many, many years. And it's not just that they're not as confident. It's that they don't realize that confidence is a skill that requires practice and nurturing over many years. In addition to all of the issues that come in with the patriarchy and how men are more likely to be seen as successful and women are more likely to be seen as bossy and judgmental and all the things that America Ferreira talked about in her speech. So it's a number of factors that all compound. And you may have seen it on TikTok, but there is a phenomenal snippet of a TED Talk. It is called For the Love of Fangirls. Is it that the image of young girls screaming their lungs out with excitement for a pop star is considered uh, crazy, psycho, scary, a bit much, but the image of young boys screaming their lungs out for a footballer is perfectly normal. Boys crying at the footy, that's the love of the game. Girls crying at a Justin Bieber concert, that's pathetic. And I just think that really captures so much of it. And it got me thinking to my childhood, my adolescence. I grew up being very hyper-feminine as a young girl. I loved dresses. I was literally a bride for Halloween when I was like four years old. I insisted, much to my parents' dismay, on wearing, do you remember those plastic high heels that little girls used to make for dress-up? I think mine were like princess-themed or something. They had a picture of like Cinderella on them. I insisted on wearing those plastic high heels because my parents tried to make me wear more sensible shoes for trick-or-treating, and they looked bad with my outfit, and I threw a huge fit and insisted on wearing them. And I don't even think I made it down the driveway without slipping and falling and wiping out. And I finally did agree to, I think, wear a coat over my outfit and probably wear sensible shoes. But I think about that girl and I think about what happened to her and how much she changed. And I'm trying to remember back to when I gave up playing with Barbies, when I gave up dressing up and making up choreographed dances. And I was very much a late bloomer. I have a few very distinct memories of wanting to continue to play in this hyper-feminine girlhood sort of way. And I had friends who grew up faster than me or had older brothers or just grew out of things and didn't like certain things. And I remember that exact feeling of shame of what's wrong with me that I still want to do this and they don't. And I remember being made fun of because I still was playing with Barbies or I always, when I was at my friend's houses, wanted to come up with a choreographed dance and do that. That was really fun for me. And people outgrew that and they wanted to talk about boys and do more mature things. And I remember so much. I had a friend who was a year younger than me and I had Barbies growing up. I loved playing with them, but I didn't have very many. I never had a dream house or really any of the bigger accessories. My parents just never got them for me and I didn't have a sister. So they always kind of felt like it was a waste of money. 
But I had some friends who had really phenomenal Barbie accessories, I'll say. And I remember one of them had the gymnastics set because there was like a gymnastics Barbie that came out. I think like Skipper also came with a gymnastics set. And there are literal... I Googled this to make sure I wasn't imagining it. High and low beam bars. And I remember playing with my friend and wanting to keep playing with her Barbies and this gymnastic set. And I specifically remember her looking at me and being like, why do you still want to play with this? We're too old for this. And she was a year younger than me. And I remember that really specific feeling of shame where I wanted to keep playing, but I pretended like I didn't. We all have moments like that. Maybe your moment isn't quite like mine. Maybe your moment happened. And then, you know, I think what's interesting is a moment happens to a girl and then she claims that has her identity. And then she inadvertently does it maybe to another girl or an adult tells a girl that she needs to stop playing with things or a boy does or brothers or sisters. There's a myriad of ways that it could show up, but it makes me think of how this whole concept of being a chill girl gets developed And how girls and women, to survive in the patriarchy, we pretend and downplay our own interests. And then if someone else has interests that we used to have or were ashamed of or someone told us to suppress, then we can inadvertently pass it on to another woman or girl by making fun of them. And it creates this whole culture of this is the way we have to be and it's no longer cool to play with this or something is in, something is out. And the idea of a cool girl is someone who's always trending and decides trends. And America Ferreira says in this interview that boys are allowed to continue to have collectibles and they have video games and they have their action figures and things like that and their sports and they're allowed to keep their interests. And girls are told you need to put away the dolls. You need to grow up at a certain point and you're not allowed to keep them. But I think a lot of us really have had the experience of downplaying our interests. And that is what um, the TED Talk speaker is talking about is just how differently women and men are perceived for being fans of something. And if you look at it from an outside perspective, they are the same thing. But because it is a young girl screaming, it is considered crazy. What is the message we're sending young girls when we tell them that they're hysterical or crazy for being this full expression of themselves, this true, authentic love of something? And I'm really interested in the mental health aspects of just, I remember how much that impacted my mental health as a girl, that I was too old to make up dances, or it was too weird to play with Barbies or dolls or play dress up or these things like that. And obviously there's nuance here. I'm not saying that boys don't experience this too, or especially I know for sure it's even worse, I think, with gay kids or non-binary kids that grow up not feeling like they fit in. And it is so much worse. A boy who wants to be more like a girl or wants to play dress up or is interested in musical theater for whatever reason and they feel like they have to suppress that side of themselves. And I think it's even more complex with girls of color. Often they have to grow up even more quickly. So it's obviously nuanced, but I think in general, it's just such an interesting thing. And I was doing some research for this podcast and I saw this really interesting article that was about the Beatles and how fangirls of a musical band really started or we kind of have studied it first with the Beatles. 
a really famous essay that a man named Paul Johnson wrote. And this was one of the biggest reasons that this whole culture of fangirls being a negative thing really started with. And he said, and this became a really famous quote that really set the stage for some of this misogyny. And he said, those who flock around the Beatles, who scream themselves into hysteria, whose vacant faces flicker over the TV screen are the least fortunate of their generation, the dull, the idle, the failures. And this became a really famous take that shaped how women who are fans of something were perceived. And the idea of the word hysterical and hysteria, we know is a very gender coded word. Hysteria is derived from a Greek word, hystera, which means uterus in Greek. So it really came from hysteria was this women's only disease of girls and women that would just become super upset and shriek and they had physical illness and they would fall over and it was like emotional excess. And the cure for it was removal of the uterus or sometimes they would also literally use vibrators essentially on women. So the word hysterical is not really appropriate, but it's just wild when you think about just how different society views sports fans versus artists or female fans. Often sports fans are seen as dedicated. Men literally converse with each other and it's seen as really cool and amazing if you have season tickets places and you can use that to be able to make other friends and be able to be successful. Sometimes even the getting and giving of sports tickets can be involved in the workplace. It can be outings. It's this whole thing. They feel very happy to be like the ambassador of a sports team. They impress people with their sports knowledge. But if women talk a lot about their knowledge of other real people, like musicians or fans of other things, it is seen as crazy and stalkerish and ridiculous. And when I think back to just even, I remember like my love of the Spice Girls, my love of Britney Spears, my first concert was a Britney Spears concert. And I remember when she stopped becoming as popular or cool. And I used to pretend that I didn't like her as much. I have been a fan of Taylor Swift for a really long time. And it really wasn't until I think it was like reputation that I started being more honest with people about how much I love Taylor Swift. For a really long time, I hid it. I was embarrassed by it. It was really seen, I think, as this, if you love Taylor Swift, you didn't have good taste in music, which is so sad and ridiculous when you think of it. Since folklore and evermore, she kind of like became a lot more mainstream and now lots of people love her. And it's like going to the Eras tour is this incredible thing that now everyone's jealous of you of. But I remember going to Reputation and I was trying to get friends to go to Reputation with me and no one wanted to go. So it's just so interesting how culture shifts and whole culture changes. And it's maybe one of the silver linings of the the past few years has just been women have been more clear, especially I think with maybe the pandemic, because that time was so hard. I think a lot of us are being more, I like what I like and I'm not going to be ashamed of it anymore. And I am such a big fan of Kate Kennedy and her Be There in Five podcast. And she talks a lot about this and just how women's hobbies and interests are really considered secondary because they're associated with women and how often we give up parts of ourselves to fit in. And I I just think about that a lot. And I think about its impact on our mental health, on adolescent mental health, and how we learn how to change ourselves to be palatable for other people. And we learn that we have to 
dress differently or we have to be the chill, cool girl. Like the idea of that chill, cool girl who likes sports, I think is just so fascinating because and then when so many of us are cosplaying that girl to fit in and be cool it also diminishes the girls that are really interested in sports or it seems like as though they aren't even interested in sports and they're just cosplaying it because so many of us all are and there's this great quote from a writer named barbara ehrenreich and she says within the music community fangirls of female pop stars are expected to not know enough about the technical aspects of music and the artist's lyricism is further dismissed as a petulant preteen obsession with fairy tale tropes. This does not translate for male fans of metal and hip hop genres whose fandom lends them an air of intellect to bolster their image. And I think that is so true too, because up until very recently with Taylor becoming more mainstream, that liking Taylor Swift means you don't have good taste in music, that you just like bubblegum pop. I mean, just Liking pop music in general is seen as so stupid and reductive and you don't have good taste in music if you love pop music and you can love what you love and we shouldn't have to conform to what society tells us is good or cool. And if anyone knows Taylor Swift or like a lot of musicians are really talented, obviously there are different types of musicians. Some pop stars really, their talent is in showmanship and dancing And these other aspects that aren't necessarily writing or the technical aspects of music, playing instruments, singing. But because of this trope, artists like Taylor Swift and others, they really don't get the recognition because, and it's this idea that you can't be hyper-feminine and be successful because people don't take you seriously. And they assume that if you are hyper-feminine, you dress in that way or you like hyper-feminine things, that you aren't talented. And that is just patriarchy at its finest. And that is what was so refreshing and cool about the Barbie movie, is you got to see this land where that didn't exist. Where when you watch it as an outsider, you see a pink president sash, or you see a pink ambulance, right? And you assume that it's not good, or it's someone's not getting good quality care. And obviously it's a toy, But I think it just really showed this aspect of just how much we don't take things seriously based on the package and how much it restricts all of us from being ourselves and having this full spectrum of human existence and experience when we're not given the freedom to be ourselves and explore our interests. Often female interests, female fandoms are thought to be vapid or trendy or to really lack substance and depth and not be interesting, not be anything that is worth studying compared to when you look at the way that sports are talked about or even male music is really talked about. It is just different because they are often thought of as this historical important piece. People study, I mean, you look at ESPN and there are reruns of famous games over and over again. There's just endless content about this stuff. And I know I'm picking on sports a lot, but I just think it's such a clear example of this and no hate to anyone who loves sports. I just think that at least how I grew up in my family, from my perspective, sports are just seen as this really important facet of life. And if you don't like sports, I very much felt like there was something wrong with me because I didn't like sports and that I was rejecting this thing. And I've talked to my husband about this too, because he doesn't like sports. He has often felt like he is like rejected in certain male circles because he doesn't have that over interest in sports. And what a shame that we have to divide our world into these binaries, which is what this whole movie is talking about when we're in these binaries, right? When we're a Ken or a Barbie, there is no space 
for different experiences. There's, if you have to be ultra feminine or ultra masculine, there's no space for that in between and just explore different things. Even if you look at franchises like the Real Housewives or Vanderpump Rules or these reality TV shows and things like that, that is often really dismissed too. I didn't watch Bravo for such a long time because I was like, that will be embarrassing if I become someone who loves the Real Housewives and I don't want to be that way. So I'm not even gonna bother watching it. I won't let myself. At this point in my life, what I can say is I'm not super feminine. I don't really wear pink. I mean, part of it is that I truly feel like it doesn't look good on me. I have pinkish tinted skin, but I'm very resistant a lot of times to hyper feminine things. Even when I was getting married, one of my colors was black. I was like, don't make this look like a wedding. I thought about not even having flowers. I just wanted like greenery. And what's so interesting looking back now, is that actually what I think? Or was this created as a reaction to dismiss that hyper feminine part of myself? Is this a reaction so that I feel like I'm unique or I'm better than this hyper feminine side? And it even kind of extends to, I mean, granted my daughter's only a couple months old, but I've been very, and part of this, right, is like, I think gender norms can be an issue and I like gender neutral things for that reason that it gives people freedom and choice. But I also, as I was watching this movie, thought, I think this is a good thing for me to check and to recognize so that I don't put this on my daughter if she's hyper feminine, that I don't shame her for this, or I don't come to a point where I say, okay, you got to grow up enough of this girly stuff, or I'm not buying any more things that you want in this pink color because it's too much and that I don't shut down her self-expression for that reason too. And I think that's one of the best parts of this movie is it's helped some of us explore this side of ourselves that we repressed. And it's been really cool about watching people that are showing up to Barbie dressed up, reclaiming their hyper femininity, standing in their femininity. Because I think a lot of times too, I don't know, what also happened for me is I struggled so much during puberty and I think so many girls do. It's so hard when your body changes, when you don't feel like you're ready for it, when it feels like your body is changing at a different rate than your brain and how you feel. And I remember very quickly feeling like all my friends went from liking these interests with me of dancing and Barbies and dress up to being obsessed with boys and talking about shaving their legs and thinking things are uncool and changing the music they listen to and stuff. And I think that happens to a lot of us and we don't talk about it. And I'm not saying boys don't experience and struggle in puberty too. They absolutely do. I stopped wearing feminine clothes when I was in seventh grade because I moved and I remember someone made fun of an outfit that I was wearing. And I remember walking onto the bus and someone saying to me, what are you wearing? And I was wearing different clothes than them. I was wearing limited two clothes. And I remember her saying, no one wears limited two anymore. And it was such a formative experience. And I remember promising myself I would never go through that again. I would make sure that I was on top of what people were wearing and what was in and what wasn't. And it was just such this intense rejection of my femininity and who I was and what I was interested in at the time. If we don't explore that, we can pass it on to our daughters or other people in our lives. And I've been loving seeing the TikTok trend of who bought the tickets to see Barbie and then saying who saw the movie, who watched the movie. And it's a picture of yourself as a child. And the movie isn't perfect. It had to be made in production with Mattel. There's obviously nuance to it, but I, I think we really underestimate women's buying power. I think we really 
diminish and don't take seriously women's interests. I think we act like fangirls and loving music or celebrating joyfully who we are or being hyper feminine is embarrassing. And I'm just loving watching this cool monoculture event where women are re-tapping into and reclaiming some of their girlhood. So I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed making it. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a rating, review, or share. I would love to hear your thoughts. Tag me on Instagram. And I'm really excited for next week. I have my friend Danielle Bayard Jackson coming on. She is a friendship expert, and we're going to talk all about the nuance of friendship. So I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. To suggest an episode topic or support my work, visit amandaewhite.com. If you're interested in getting therapy from my practice, visit therapyforwomencenter.com. We're based in Philadelphia, but we have therapists serving 27 states across the country. 